young Mitzi Hunter, former liberal MPP for Scarborough Guildwood from 2013 to 2023, as well as former education minister and Marcus Domenico, vice chair of the Toronto Catholic District School Board. And he's a trustee for Ward 2 Etobicoke Center. He's also a musician. Good morning to both of you. And thank you so much for being patient with me this morning. Hi, Ben. No, you were talking about important things. This is, uh, that's what it's all about. Well, looking forward to talking to both of you about some more important things. And let's jump right into our first topic. Uh, specifically, we're expecting to house 10,000 people in our shelter system every night as Toronto begs for more money. We just are not equipped for this. Now, uh, Mitzi, I have been saying for weeks that the solution to this problem is for the city to do a deal with whoever owns the rights to the old Nordstrom space in the Eaton Center in Yorkdale. We could turn those into emergency shelters immediately and take in thousands of people every night. Listen, this is not the best idea. It's not the only idea. But I do think that we as a city need to stop thinking within the box. And we've got to come up with some radical thinking because otherwise, as the, as the temperatures drop, people will die. Yeah, I think that radical, innovative, creative thinking to get people off the streets and, you know, away from the elements outside, given that it's winter and into a warm bed at night is really important. And we've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens. Listen, Ben, we've already seen the worst. You know, there was a a person in Brampton who died in a tent. Mm. We don't want to see people being harmed in any way this winter. And so having shelters wherever we can set them up, even if it's in the Nordstrom, then we need to do that. But of course, the more long-term solution is to make sure that people do get out of shelters into homes, especially refugees, because we know that they're here fleeing very terrible situations Uh, in their home countries, and in many instances, they are willing and able and eager to work and to provide for themselves and their families. And so making sure that we're setting up the process to do that as quickly as possible, and that requires cooperation, and all three orders of government need to be working together. So it seems like the city and the province are coordinating making sure that the federal government is there as well, because ultimately it's actually their responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Marcus, we, 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 it feels to me like we have a real opportunity to bridge the entire political spectrum because I, I can't, I can't imagine that anyone would view this as a political, a, 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 a political issue. This is a, this is a human rights issue. This is a, a, an issue of life and death. And it doesn't matter whether you're right, left or center or up or down this is something that we should all be able to agree on. Yes, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be on the show, and thanks for having me. Uh, I can personally say that it's a massive humanitarian crisis, but Ben, I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit because everything does spin politically in some way, and here we have to get our hands around how do we handle this situation going forward Uh, New York's got over 150,000 migrants that they're housing and people that are homeless on the street. It's very, very difficult. And Missy's absolutely right. We've got to come together, all levels of government. Everyone's got to jump on board and deal with the humanitarian humanitarian issue first. That's how I see it personally, is that we always have to take care of people first. All right. Well, I want to move on to uh, an international story that we were just talking about before the break, uh, that uh, Hamas 
thanks Canada for backing a ceasefire in Gaza. Let's take a listen to the senior leader of Hamas and what his thoughts are on Canada's position. Despite the United States position, the Hamas movement is watching the growing calls by several Western governments to end the aggression on Gaza. In addition to the other calls worldwide demanding immediate ceasefire in Gaza Strip, the last of which was the statement by Canada, Australia, and New Zealand backing sustainable ceasefire in Gaza. We welcome these developments and consider them in the right direction toward isolation the fascist Israeli government globally and ending the longer ever occupation in our modern time. So there you go. So there's that. Uh, I talked to Michael Levitt, the CEO of the Friends of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, right before we started Think Tank, and he had this to say about Canada's position. Well, I'll answer that question, not just as a member of Canada's Jewish community, but as a former liberal MP and chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee uh, until 2020. And I can't even describe to you how disappointing it was for the Jewish community that Canada chose to take that stand. And we have seen um, an incoherent foreign policy on this issue in the Middle East. All right. So, Mitzi, is this my opinion is my opinion. I don't expect others to share it. But my opinion is this is apparently what we are and who we are as a country, alienating the only liberal democracy in the region and being praised by the leaders of a terrorist group. Um, What are your thoughts on what I just said? Well, listen, I mean, this this leader uh, is capitalizing, is being opportunistic on the U.N. resolution, which is non-binding for the ceasefire in Gaza. He's using it as a wedge issue. Don't let. But didn't we didn't we give him that? We we gave him the wedge. We gave him the wedge. Gave him the wedge. He's using it. And it's awful. You know, I I really I hated reading this because, you know, he has a platform now and we don't want to see that. I actually think Michael Levitt, um, you know, from the Simon Wiesenthal Center said it very well that we have to put the humanitarian at the center of this, that we all want to see an end to the fighting and we want to see peace in the Middle East. That is at the heart of what we want, a two state the two states have to actually want this in order for it to occur. And, it, you know, this type of, of uh, rhetoric is driving that further apart. And, and so there is so much work that has to be done. We can't lose hope and we can't let individuals like this, you know, I mean, it's just horrible. You know, the, the, the rhetoric that comes out of this leader and, um, you know, the, the fact that they provoked the situation that we are now all in. And, um, and I'm still, you know, I'm still for peace. I'm still for the humanitarian cause, the Palestinian people. Uh, I'm sure they do not want this uh, in terms of the, you know, what is being rained down on them right now. And um, and we just got to find our way out of this. And it has to be with the two states seeing that they both have that right to exist. Marcus, did did we hand did we hand this man? Did we hand Hamas a wedge, even if it's a non-binding wedge? And and have they been able to weaponize Canada's non-binding position into a place where they feel emboldened to, to to make pronouncements like the one we just heard? Well, the short answer is yes. 
my personal opinion is that it was a very, very dark day for Canada's international relations when our representative to the UN uh, seems to side with North Korea, Iran, and their terrorist-backed friends, Hamas. I mean, we do have a strong ally in Israel. We do have a long-standing and most beneficial ally in the United States. And here we were on the side of rogue nations. I mean, everybody wants this thing to end. Everybody wants peace. Nobody wants anyone to die. Talk about a humanitarian crisis. This is the biggest one we've seen in, in decades. But, and here's the but, it kind of reminds me of Neville Chamberlain stepping off the plane, waving a piece of paper and saying there's not going to be any war with Germany. Well, we know how that worked out. Because Hamas is not someone that's not going to negotiate. Their primary goal is the destruction and the death of the Jews in Israel. It's not, they don't even pretend to hide it. So when they start preaching to us about how things should go, I'm very leery about it. But we all want peace, like Mitzi said. Of course, no one wants anybody to be injured or to be killed. But let's not forget who we are dealing with. And, and, and that's a very good point, because on October 6th, Mitzi, no, nobody was clamoring for war. There wasn't a you know, there wasn't a big uh, mobilization in Canada or anywhere around the world demanding that uh, uh, that, that Israel launch a, a ground offensive in Gaza. That was there was no appetite for it then. So for people to suggest that all of a sudden, um, you know, the, the people who are in support of Israel's right to defend itself are somehow bloodthirsty, I find is disingenuous. It doesn't, there isn't anybody who, who doesn't want peace, but in order to get that peace, unfortunately, we've got to go through a, a, a pretty uh, a pretty gruesome uh, time. And I, I think that it's incumbent upon us, as you said, to, um, to, 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 to act as a, a conscience um, and as, as, a, as, a, as a, a, a trusted voice to our allies in Israel. But I don't b- believe they view us as a trusted voice and ally right now. And when we have to be mindful of that relationship um, that we have and that resolute um, commitment that we have to to the Jewish people and and to to Israel. And, and that's something that, you know, as Canadians and our leaders, we have to make sure that we demonstrate that. I do disagree a little bit with um, my friend Marcus in terms of who Canada sided with in that vote, because it was an overwhelming majority vote. You have 153 voted in favor of that resolution. And so I just want to you know, make sure like it, it was a broad consensus in terms of the General Assembly vote. Right. Um, you know, at this point, it, it is we cannot like you know, follow the path of, of Hamas, that, that is where provocation happened on October 7th for the war that, you know, is, is we're seeing play out in front of us right now. And, you know, that's who wants and is provoking this war. And we have to separate that from the, the millions of Palestinian people who are, are now, you know, caught in the situation. And, and I do think that 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 is something that is important. And, uh, and, and as push for peace and keeping that humanitarian um, and, and rules of engagement at the center of everything that we talk about. All right, let's step away from the Middle East for a few minutes and let's talk about uh, Hollywood and the double standard that exists between men and women. Uh, Sienna Miller, the wonderfully talented and beautiful actress, is pregnant. She's 41 
And the man who is the father of her child is 27. So a significant age gap. And when asked about what she feels is a double standard, she had this to say. I think that people are comfortable with a way of living that has existed for many years, which is very misogynistic mm. and patriarchal and like me being the older woman in a partnership yeah. with a younger person or being pregnant over 40 and that that's irresponsible and yeah. a poor child. It's, it's such double standards and it's so, I think it's so unquestioned in people's minds. Uh, I, listen, I, I'm not going to tell her that, that her experience as a woman is wrong, but I, I wonder whether, because the, the first part of what she said, and we'll start with you, Mitzi, the first part of what she said was that people are comfortable with a way of living that existed for many years. So, and then she went on to call it misogynistic and patriarchal, but could it be as simple as this is just not something we see very often. And when we see something that is new to us, we talk about it. It is a curiosity. Um, it has not yet been normalized. Uh, to go down the route of calling it, you know, the buzzwords of patriarchal and, 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 and misogynistic, I don't know is necessarily helpful. What do you think? Oh, Ben, I just you almost laughed out loud because that is exactly the definition of patriarchal and misogynistic. How? In terms of, like, because we've normalized it the other way. So if you flip this on its head... And if it was the other way around, a 41-year-old, you know, leading actor, you know, male with, you know, a 14, you know, year sure. difference yep. With, yep. with his partner, we there would be we wouldn't even be talking about it. It would be no news at all. No, you're absolutely you're, you're absolutely right about that. Normalized reality that has been perpetuated, all you know, forever. And so what she's saying is that hey, you know. Times have changed. Things have flipped. And, you know, you got to remember that this guy worked hard for her. He won her over. And it seems like they're in a beautiful relationship. They're expecting a child early January. And people should just totally leave them alone. What is wrong with this 14-year difference? Is it because she's a woman? And that's what she's calling out. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Marcus, am I completely off the mark here? Am I, letting, am I giving, getting people, letting people off the hook way too easy? Well, well, uh, Ben, I think that this is one of the biggest non-stories uh, of the week. <laughs> um, I, I get what she's saying, and I think that uh, she's absolutely correct. It's been normalized for a long time that older men marry younger women, sometimes in their second, third, etc. marriage. Um, and somehow this has raised a furor with some people. I say, you know, she's in love. He's in love. They're having a, a child. That is a beautiful contribution to society. And I don't think also on the other side, though, that she's breaking down barriers of barriers of the patriarchy. I think she's just in love and God bless her. And I wish them I wish them very well. That's going to be a good looking baby. That's for sure. Uh, OK, let's <laughs> let's let's move on to something that affects almost every Canadian. Um, the, the the Canadian airports rank in the bottom third of all global airports is on a list uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 I don't know if it's shameful or embarrassing, but why can't we have nice things in this country? How hard is it to emulate the best practices of other airports and deliver that great service to Canadians? Why are we so content to throw enormous amounts of money at things in this country only to get middling or subpar results? Marcus, what are your thoughts? Well, when I read this story, oh boy, uh, did it ever resonate with me? I think if there was a bottom 20th, that's where we'd be. 
Pearson is an embarrassment, in my opinion. Uh, we, I don't know why we can spend so much money, tax everybody to the hilt, and still have terrible service. It doesn't make any sense. You can't find your luggage. The food's terrible. You can't park without someone coming out and harassing you. It's, it's beyond belief. If you go to Europe, go to Schiphol, go to Heathrow, you're going to see systems that work so much better. And we should, we should really be at the top of the pack And because we're spending so much money. But you're absolutely right. We should be at the top of the pack delivering premium service to Canadians. And Mitzi, let, let's give people a little context here. Calgary International Airport was deemed the best airport in Canada, and it landed a, <laughs> at 142nd overall. Vancouver Airport came in second in Canada at 146th, and Toronto Pearson was third at 188th, a spot which also placed it as the seventh worst airport on the list. This is not a list we want to be on, Mitzi. And it's not like, look, it's not like we don't have the resources and the ability, like I said, to do fact-finding missions, go find out what makes the best airports in the world, and let's bring those to our to our citizens. Why can't we have nice things? Well, I got to say, Ben, we've only got up to go because we cannot get any lower. This is this is not good. This is, this is terrible. And you know, any traveler, whether it's business travel, domestic, international traveler, have their painful stories of bags getting lost or missed connections. All of these things at at Pearson. And so, you know, I I I'm going to say like let's you know, task uh, Deborah Flint and her team and all the partners. It's such a complex system to manage to do better. We need them to do better. What is required? Because as Marcus is saying, it's not for lack of investment. It is for lack of, you know, seeing the results of that investment. And we, we we're tired of this. We want to rise from the bottom of these lists when it comes to travel and, you know, one, one area actually that Pearson does shine in, um, it's the second uh, uh, leading airport for international destinations. And so, you know, there is a demand. People want to come here. Yeah. People are going to fly here. We're a hub. And so we got to just deliver better service. This is Think Tank. And we're talking with Mitzi Hunter, former Liberal MPP for Scarborough Guildwood from 2013 to 2023. And Marcus Domenico, vice chair of the Toronto Catholic District School Board. He's also a trustee for Ward 2 Etobicoke Centre. He's also a musician. What, what do you play, uh, Marcus? Well, Ben, <laughs> I'm a singer and songwriter. And uh, I've, I've spent most of my career singing on television and in concerts for boys and girls. And as a matter of fact, Here's a little bit of trivia for you, Ben. You and I met in 1991. 1991. 1991 uh-huh. at Queen's Park on the steps with your mom, uh-huh. your older sister, at a concert I was doing with Fred Penner for Literacy, and you were there with your mother, and we had a little chat. Now, 30 <laughs> years later, I don't expect you to remember absolutely anything about that. But you were very, very sweet, and your mother was, of course, very charming. Well, th- well you know what? I'm gonna. I, I, do you have a picture of that? I do. Oh, I'd love to see it. I'd, lo- I'd love. Gonna, to I'm going to dig it, it up. <laughs> your mother sent me a signed picture of the event with you, with her sitting with you too. Marcus, I would love to see it. And Mitzi, in 1991, were you dreaming of someday walking through those doors at Queens Park? 
I, I was in high school. No, I, I just left high school. I was in university at UTSC Scarborough campus, living my absolute dream and best life. And I love this story. And Marcus, I thought you were going to like start playing a tune for the holidays <laughs> or something, I, you know, but that was an well, amazing story to, of Ben. I can't wait to see to, the picture. Yeah. I'll put it up. You send it to me, Marcus, and I'll put it up on my social media. Hey, we've got one more story to get to before we end this think tank. And I want to thank you guys ahead of time for, for, for joining me today. But there is some real concerning news coming up about a, a new COVID variant. And, um, and it, it, the writing seems to be on the wall. People are not getting their, their boosters. Uh, this variant is uh, quite aggressive. And we're about to enter some of the busiest um, travel days of the year with people who are potentially infected and don't seem to care, not wearing masks anymore, getting on planes, co-mingling at airports, and then taking whatever they've got in them to various points around the world. I mean, this could be the beginning of a very, very bad 2024. Why does nobody seem to care, Mitzi? Yeah, this is this is the, the sneaker story because, yeah. uh, you know, when we're going to start to care, it's too late. And that's when hospitals are overwhelmed and turning people away or when healthcare workers get really sick. And where I don't want to see it because I have my, my stepdads in long term care, we have to make sure that we, we protect those most vulnerable from these types of viruses. And so what it's, what it's going to require is that we put some public health standards back in place in terms of just advising people of how to stay, stay well over the holidays, like wear masks and, you know, reporting on yeah. what is happening because this, this illness is still people are still dying from it, but we're just not reporting it and we're not letting people know what the risks are. And I think that that's a mistake. Marcus, I have to assume that both of you in your professional careers have had to give people news that you haven't been looking forward to giving them. You know, sometimes you had to give a, a tell, to give a report or tell people something's not going to turn out the way it was expected. Um, is that what we're dealing with here is that there's just no appetite for uh, uh, locking people down or restricting their movement or restricting their, you know, f- telling them they have to wear masks or social distancing or they have to get a shot. Uh, we just we don't want to go down that road again because of the, the backlash that may occur. Well, here in Ward 2 at Tropical Center, I, I assisted in running many clinics for vaccination and our, our board did institute mask mandates. Um, frankly, I think uh, trying to judge the public pulse is always difficult. But I, I don't think there's much of an appetite for people starting to wear masks uh, again. I think there's a, there's a definite pushback. I think that it is a, probably a dangerous barrier that's going to spread. But, you know, we, we need to get people back on the bandwagon about thinking about getting a booster. As far as a lockdown, it was very detrimental to education, yep. very detrimental uh, we see the learning deficits out there all the time, and we're working hard at Toronto Catholic to pick up that slack. But we're going to have to convince the public to put it back on their radar because they have it in their rearview mirror. And like all humans, we really don't want to be dealing with that again, but we may have no choice. Yeah. You know, Ben, can I just say, I was at yeah. a holiday party. Actually, it was for the Kiwanis Club in Scarborough, a new service club that we just started. And, and someone told me a story about... Um, I think it was their son who was experiencing dizziness and didn't know why ended up in emerge 
and uh, he ended up getting a COVID test, and that's what he had. But it, and it was one of the symptoms, but he just didn't know that. So just basic information, tell the population what to look for and how to stay safe. That, that's needed right now. Well, listen, I, I, I really do hope that uh, people heed your, your calls. I think I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to um, worry people and I don't want people to have to do things that we don't have to do. But this does seem concerning and I think we should be prepared. At the very least, if the shot's available, you got to take it. Uh, Mitzi, uh, Marcus, thank you so much for joining us on Think Tank. I appreciate it. I hope to do it again with you sometime soon. For sure. And happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas Merry to the both Christmas. of you.